Hello and welcome to A Glimpse into the Future. My name is Rigas Hadzilakos and in this podcast series I talk to some of the world's leading experts to better understand how new technologies and ideas will shape our future. Today I meet with Bob Goodson. Bob is the CEO of Quid, a company that searches, analyzes and visualizes the world's collective intelligence to help answer strategic questions. He is also a member of the World Economic Forum's Council on the Future of Artificial Intelligence and Robotics. Artificial intelligence, we hear about it a lot uh, in news. Uh, what is it in a nutshell? How you would describe it? And what are some of the most exciting developments that we have seen of it today? Yes, well, my favorite definition is, is uh, I'm paraphrasing Nils Nilsson, and he said that artificial intelligence is about making machines intelligent. And intelligence is the quality that enables an entity to function appropriately and with foresight in its environment. So it's about, you know, it's about making machines intelligent. And then, you know, the question persists, well, what is intelligence? And um, I really like that definition that it's about, you know, functioning appropriately and with foresight in its environment. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the examples of artificial intelligence, you know, is a is a thermostat in my house uh, artificial intelligence, or um, what are the most exciting developments mm. we could would, we could give uh, to explain how important this is? Yeah, the one of the interesting things about that definition and the field is now 60 years old, mm -hmm. so this isn't a new field. And one of the most interesting things I think about the 60-year history of AI is that our definition of intelligence keeps changing. So we have, uh, for example. Uh, when Alan Turing first set out to think about the, uh, the prospect of a machine playing or indeed beating a human at chess, it was an incredible uh, idea at the time, an unbelievable idea at the time. And, uh, and fast forward to 1997 when um, Deep Blue did um, you know, beat the, the world champion uh, Kasparov at the time. At that point, once the computer had won, We, we said, well, that's just a computer program. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not intelligent, you know. And so there's a long history of us changing the, the uh, standard of what is considered intelligent. So today, if you, you know, is, is the future now? Have, do we have some uh, examples of AI that are truly changing the world or you can see that they, are, they will change the world very soon? Yeah, some of the most interesting developments and breakthroughs in recent years, I think one of the most significant is, is computer vision. The ability mm -hmm. for a machine to uh, recognize the objects around it, to identify those objects, and then to pass that information to systems that can then adjust um, um, in this, you know, uh, a vehicle or a body to, to its environment. And, and um, you know, huge breakthroughs in, in, in our ability to, to do that. And one of the big implications that we're obviously all aware of is, is self-driving vehicles. Mm -hmm. A vehicle can't drive itself unless it can recognize and understand its environment and process that very rapidly. And, uh, and, and so that's a field that's, that's being enabled and the technology already exists. It's not having a big impact in the world yet, uh, but it's one of those areas that's pretty clear will have a big impact um, in, in, the, in this case, in the way that we all drive and the way that professional drivers drive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So 60 years uh, from the beginning, we, we are now at automated vehicles. Uh, where, where is that in the spectrum of development of AI? Are we 
reaching our limits of AI? Are we still baby stepping? Where, where are we? Yes. Yeah, that's a, a question of much speculation and uh, a very interesting one. The American Association for Artificial Intelligence, uh, which is a, a, a body of some of the leading AI researchers and academics in the world, recently published a uh, paper and, and initiative called the 100-Year Study in AI. And, uh, and so it intends to publish a new study every few years as it as it. Um, as the field develops, and it's a great paper for anyone kind of wanting to understand where we're at, where we are in, in in the field's development. One of the things it points out in the paper is that so far, for all the investment and all the work that's happened over the past sixty years in the field, nothing has yet been developed that is as sophisticated as a cockroach. Um, which I think is a very wonderful and humble uh, of them to uh, to admit. Uh, a cockroach, it points out, can uh, you know adapt to find food, to reproduce, to avoid danger. Uh, it's actually you know a very intelligent system, and uh, nothing we've built so far comes close to the intelligence of a cockroach. So um, I think that is also an indication of how how researchers perceive the process so far and um, and and I think an indication of where we're at in the development of intelligence and machine intelligence it's in short we're not very far along uh, <laughs> in terms of where in terms of what's possible so we're not very far along uh, however already these these new technologies that you, you mentioned like automated vehicles and others are starting to, to trickle down into the industries, uh, different industries and into the society. Um, where do you see it going in the next 10 years? I mean, you're somebody that has access to uh, or knowledge of where the status of some of the fundamental research is, of the innovation, of the technological development and the market. Where do you see it in the next 10, 15 years? Mm. Yeah, so it's an important question and one that's received a lot of attention in the past year especially. Uh, what's the future of AI and, and how is it going to affect the world over the next 10 or 20 years? There, I'd see it as two parts. The first part is understanding what exists and connecting the understanding of that to the commercial dynamics that are inevitably going to pull those technologies into the world. Okay, So there's some things that we know are possible, we know there's commercial demand, and so they just haven't been rolled out yet. Mm -hmm. And the second major area is speculation of what will be possible. So what fundamental breakthroughs will there be in the research over the next 10 or 20 years? The latter is very hard to predict. Uh, the history of science is uh, covered with examples of, of major breakthroughs and they always happen in a step rather than a smooth uh, process. And so um, thinking about when things will happen and what will be possible before it's been developed, I think is um, uh, is not a very useful exercise. Um, I think that what's more helpful is understanding the, the research that uh, already exists, understanding what's possible, and then spending you know, our effort you know, in, 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 in understanding what's very likely to happen because mm -hmm. we know it exists. You know, that, that takes a lot of the unknowns out of it. You know, I, I get asked this question a lot by um, C-level executives at some of the largest companies in the world and, and also government leaders and that's my advice to them when, when asked you know, and then there's a lot of concerns at the moment among, among leaders about mm -hmm. you know, what is coming in AI and my advice to them is focus on what's inevitably going to be rolled out and there are a tremendous number of insights and important insights about changes that are going to happen in the world without needing to rely on conjecture.
Very interesting, and this is obviously something that's very relevant to uh, all the Davos crowd, if you want, uh, people that are trying to make sense of all of these developments and put in place some structures or some processes that uh, uh, keep this in mind. Um, now, thinking about this technology and its impact on people, on, on the society, what, what, uh, what do you see as a possible uh, impact, or already if you've seen some, some signs of a, of a change uh, in how we, how we operate, how we mm. behave? Um, mm. I mean, one of the areas that I find very interesting is education. And it's actually very surprising to me how little machines are used in the education process today. Sure. So much is possible when it comes to supporting the learning process through software. And yet we have not really rolled out most of what's possible into the education process. And so, you know, we have, uh, you know, in the past 20 years, the education process has not really evolved that much. Um, but looking at what can be done, I think it's quite inevitable that technology will be used more and more in the education process in the next 10 or 20 years. Um, in our own field, in, in the field that Quid operates in, we have uh, we support strategic decision making in business and government, and this is an area that many people are surprised to hear that that um, AI approaches can be used to inform them, and that's because um, those decisions are considered some of the most sophisticated that anybody can try and make. Right um, in business, it's about which market should we enter, and if we do, how will we fare in that market? You know, which products could we develop and launch? In 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 government, it's understanding the um, the dialogue and, and understanding what people care about, uh, both uh, at home and abroad. And um, so there's a range of questions that are really quite difficult to answer. And where machines can help us in those questions is the foundation of the answers. Mm -hmm. It's not about the machine giving us the answer at this point. But there are many stages to making a big decision. Um, the first stage is gathering information. The second stage is analyzing that information. The third is building insights from, from the analysis. Um, the fourth is creating recommendations for solutions. And the fifth is taking action on those solutions. Those are the five stages of, a, of any strategic decision. And right now, machines are increasingly helpful in the early stages, the first two or three stages of that process. Mm -hmm. We're nowhere near machines making recommendations or taking action. Um, but for information gathering, for example, machines have clear advantages over humans. For certain types of analysis, machines have clear advantages. And we're just starting to get into the ability for machines to uh, find insights that it thinks that a human will find interesting. So that's um, you know, a field that I think is going to you know, continue to develop, certainly one that we're excited to, to be uh, working on. It's a very interesting field. And also there is, I wanted to take it to, to a different angle on, on, on the, some of the concerns or fears that have been uh, out there in the public sphere from people that are in uh, no way uh, not technically savvy enough to, to give an opinion, uh, you know, the comments I'm talking about from Elon Musk and, mm -hmm. and other, um, uh, other great technologists and thinkers about the, the danger of uh, developing these kind of technologies. And I wanted to bring it to, the, uh, to, to your sphere of, of knowledge on decision making. So you're saying we don't have yet machines that make recommendations. Will we? Uh, should we? Uh, and if so, what, what would you uh, consider dangerous and what you could consider as a good scenario? Mm. 
Well, I mean, I'm in the, the comments that I was making is it was around sort of business decisions, right? Mm-hmm. Decisions and work that happens in knowledge work in general and executive decision making. Moving to a very different field in military applications, we already have machines that can um, assess a situation, make a decision and act on it, uh, which is a concern to many. You know, we, we already have machines in the field, for example, the ability to identify uh, an incoming missile or an aerial threat and to target it and make a decision rapidly is important because there isn't time to put a human in the loop in certain scenarios. So we, all, you know, we already have those uh, weapons and those are already deployed. And so, uh, we, you know, even now in, you know, coming into the start of 2017, we have machines in the world that, that you know, one could say are adapting to uh, an environmental condition, making decisions and acting on it. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a concern to many, that machines, you know, have been given the kill order as it were, on humans. And uh, there are some academics in the field that believe that that's important to address soon, that there becomes, the, you know, even um, there are requests to have uh, global agreement that we will not give machines the authority to call humans in any scenario. And, um, and indeed rescind that, the, you know, right that we have in some very specialist um, uh, warfare tools as it stands. So I think that's an interesting area to watch and, mm-hmm. and one that we'll see develop as machines become more sophisticated and um, over the coming decades. Um, that, that factor will become, I think, increasingly important to people. Definitely, definitely a very interesting uh, discussion and hopefully we'll, we'll get the opportunity to discuss this with, uh, with Stuart Russell as well who is, uh, uh, has a lot of uh, opinions and uh, interesting ideas on the subject. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, even if we take it out of the context of a military war uh, and more in the context of a, of a business strategic decision, uh, how do you feel, would, are you seeing that people would be comfortable with accepting a recommendation of, uh, of machine? Do you feel that there is enough uh, decision-making clarity built into their artificial intelligence system for people to understand why uh, an intelligence system is suggesting what it is suggesting? How do you, how do you envision this uh, taking place in, in your sector? Yeah, that's an interesting question because I, you know, we have over 150 clients and, and so I've been involved in the rollout and deployment of, uh, you know, decision-making um, technology now to a large number of companies, including over a third of the Fortune 50, and um, the, the, over the recent years as well. So a lot of conversations, thousands of conversations with company people in companies, right? And um, the general mood is that people are very welcoming of, of this um, support in decision-making, hmm. very welcoming there's an acknowledgement that there's many parts of the process that we, you know, we were uh, attempting in methods that often crudely characterize the complexity of what was really happening in a business scenario. The, um, you know, the, the traditional process, right? You take a process of understanding a business problem. Let's say we want to understand the, um, Uh, something like brand perception. Mm-hmm. So, um, say there's a reputation uh, matter that affects a company and its brand. And so now the company has to understand, adjust its behavior to that risk or to you know the reputation uh, damage that's just happened. And um, the process that's used you know, before 
we got we get involved is typically involves a team of people reading a few articles sitting in a conference room and putting some notes on a whiteboard and thinking about what's being said and the implications of what's being said and then making recommendations sometimes where there's hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars of market cap at stake mm-hmm. and implementing them um they've so they're very welcoming of the idea that a machine can collect every article, for example, that affected an area. And sometimes there's hundreds or thousands that have happened within just a week. No, no team, no market team or uh, corporate affairs team is, has time to read all of those articles. So they take a very small sample without really understanding how they even sampled it. But a machine can read everything and, and then um, even conduct the analysis of the articles, finding patterns, finding themes, understanding the trends, the dynamics within those themes, and present those in a visual way. Um, that's, what, that's one of the things that our software enables and one of the processes it enables. People are incredibly receptive to having a machine do that part of the mm-hmm. thinking, as it were, for them, because they're able to then look at that, that map of, of the situation and make a decision based on that. And so the machine, in our case, is not getting into the decision-making territory. It's not saying, here's what you should do. Humans are very good at understanding courses of action when they understand the situation. Um, but understanding situations these days is very hard. And a machine is, is um, uh, often a, a very welcome uh, companion in, in that process of, uh, for those reasons. Do you see strategic AI decision-making or consulting in a personal level soon? Uh, so everyone has their own AI instructor that mm. tells them what they should be doing. Mm. Uh, and if so, uh, what are the things that would excite you in such a development and the things that would make you fear uh, that this could be used for the wrong reasons or from people maybe that are not qualified to, to make this kind of system? Yeah, I love that question. <laughs> no one ever asks that question. That's a, that's a great one because it's something I think about a lot in my personal life and personal processes I'm always hacking around new ideas for for decision making and day-to-day decision making a, a few things I think about is that you know uh, Freud referred to the human consciousness as the tabula rasa or a, a you know a blank slate and I think it's an interesting observation that when we wake up in the morning before we go through our um you know, processes, rituals, or before we engage with the world. Certainly, my, my own experience of, of uh, consciousness is that we seem to keep starting as a blank slate. And then we're programmed through our environment and so on to you know, kind of reconnect, as it were, through the day. I think there's, it's interesting to think about um, how our own processes, and, and indeed could be enabled by machines too, can we can set our direction, set the things we care about, set our priorities, and have it remind us of them in intelligent ways, right? Hmm. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I experiment with processes like this in recent years where I, I, I mean, it's very manual. I wouldn't say it's an intelligent system, but it's, um, you know, by noting the key ideas and direction um, that I want to take and then reading that every morning. Hmm. So the, one of the first things I do in the morning is just read my you know, the things I care about most and um, to try and combat this this phenomenon that Freud identified, you know, the tabula rasa. So I think there's interesting things there. There's interesting things also on our day-to-day basis in in um, intelligent assistance. Mm-hmm. You know, the, we, we spend a good amount of our processing power, you know, in business and in our work and lives today 
just thinking about what am I supposed to do next? What's the t duration, the travel duration between certain events? And, you know, what do I need with me when I arrive? And, you know, we, we spend a good amount of mental bandwidth dealing with that stuff, which, again, um, we're getting closer to being able to, with smartphones, with calendars, with email, with photos and capabilities on the phone, we're getting close to having the inputs that would be necessary to really pull all that together. No one's cracked that product yet, but we see it being encroached in areas like in Google Maps, for example. If you have Google Maps on your phone, you've probably been surprised when you're sitting somewhere and it pops up and says, you should probably be heading out of the office now if you want to be on time. <laughs> Thank you, Google. You know, you've seen it in the calendar and it's sort of making a, an estimate based on traffic, how long it's going to take to you to get to your next appointment. It's just a little glimpse, I think, into an area that, will become increasingly important. Do you feel like the, this kind of ease of uh, help, if you want, in decision-making uh, is maybe going to pull us away from having to spend a lot of mental effort in making the right decisions and hence will make us maybe a bit more gullible, a bit more easy to manipulate, uh, mm. a bit less thoughtful as human beings? Do you mm. ever fear that this could... Uh, could turn out like this instead of just helpful? Yeah, there's certainly indications and ways in which we could become easier to manipulate. Um, there's also ways in which I could see us it helping us be more creative, more conscious. Um, so I, I think it really depends on how, how these products get implemented. Uh, for example, when you know I was driving across San Francisco uh, recently and there was a and I was using Google Maps to, to navigate. And, you know, the map, it started to rain. And the map application sent me onto the, or tried to send me onto the freeway. And, um, and so, and the freeway is absolutely jammed. I knew it would be, it started to rain. And, and sure, you know, sure enough, I could, I visually, I could make, make I saw the freeway. It was absolutely jammed and the surrounding roads were not. And it just made me think, and I don't know how this algorithm works. But it would make sense to design an algorithm that in the rain, where as the sun was setting, that's a very hazardous time for pedestrians. Um, and so why not you know, route traffic onto freeways because it moves traffic away from pedestrians during dangerous times? I mean, that could be life-saving on a large scale, right? Yeah. Um, it's not the most efficient thing for the individual. The individual is now going to waste or spend an extra 10 or 20 minutes in their car because they were sent onto the freeway. Um, so there'll be, you know, and I wondered how many people had Google Maps on in their car as they all sort of proceeded blindly to the freeway um, without even thinking about the manipulation or the decision making that was going on on an aggregate scale. Mm -hmm. And it's just a really interesting example of something that may even be happening right already. now, right? It may already be happening and moving people around right through algorithms for the collective good as opposed to the um the individual good you know i have a good friend that was hit by a car in the rain in, in dark you know uh circumstances about you know 10 years ago um just crossing a street you know, low light conditions rain and just makes me think you know i mean she recovered but but could that have been avoided had a machine said you know what to that driver who, you know, it was a 16-year-old driver, you know, could that driver have been, um, based on age, based on circumstances, could they have been sent to a route that would have been safer for them that morning, you know, and avoided that accident? It's just something that occurred to me the other day. So, thank you very much. Uh, a closing comment for, for those listening in uh, and that will see more and more of AI entering their lives. 
uh, how would you suggest that they uh, go about learning more about it uh, and making sure that they use the opportunity that it, they offer, but also uh, keep their minds off, uh, open about any of the, the risks that come with it? Mm. I think, especially for a new generation, they seem to be less concerned with uh, privacy. Mm -hmm. and, and there is a trend, I mean, I've seen the numbers, towards um, companies that don't mind sharing information with other apps, with other companies. I mean, that's the difference between the Android platform, platform and the Apple platform, for example. Mm -hmm. Apple refuses as much as possible to store information on its servers. It keeps you know, information on the device and so on. Android has a completely different approach when it comes to empowering app developers to access all sorts of inputs on your phone. So I think that engaging with, with what's really happening with your data and what's really happening with um, the decision-making behind the scenes, thinking about it, looking into it, um, is a very worthwhile thing because it has political implications mm -hmm. um, and, and it has um, long-term implications. So I think that you know, thinking about privacy is, is one of the areas I encourage people to think about. And anyone interested to learn more about AI and... Um, and, and do a bit of weekend reading. I, um, you know, I do recommend the the hundred year study uh, by the Triple AI as a great source of what's real in the field and um, and how the field is developing. Bob, thank you very much. This was fascinating. Thank you, Igas. That was all from this episode of A Glimpse into the Future with today's guest Bob Goodson, the CEO of Quid. My name is Rigas Adilakos. <laughs>